0: Today's text is coming from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. The Christian church was born in song. Those are the words of Ralph Martin in his book, Worship in the Early Church. We are singing people, and there's a reason, there's lots of reasons, The main reason is that the reality of God and Christ and creation and salvation and heaven and hell are simply too great to be content with mere speaking. They have to be sung as well as spoken about. The reality of God and all his work is so great that... We have to not merely think truly about it, but feel duly about it. Think truly and feel duly. That is, feel kinds of emotions, intensities of emotions, lengths of emotions, depths of emotions that are appropriate or do to the reality that God is. And so we must think truly and feel duly. And I think if, if we think truly and don't feel duly, God gets half the glory and half the honor at best that he was meant to have. And if you try to Feel strongly. And I say strongly, not duly, because I think it's impossible to feel duly if you don't think truly. If you feel strongly and don't think truly, he gets less than half of what he is due. God calls us as a people to know him, And to enjoy Him and fear Him and delight in Him and tremble at Him. And if you split yourself and become a thinker about God or a feeler about God, He gets half of what He is due and you do not worship Him as you ought. We must think truly and feel Duly. The work of the heart, emotion, and the work of the head, understanding, are meant to give glory to God together. And the reason music exists, the reason songs exist, is because there are feelings that simply demand that we do more than describe reality. That we do more than talk about it. Prose must rise to poetry, and poetry must be extended to song, and song must give wing to music. That's why it exists. God is simply... Too great to be exhausted by preaching, or conversation, or discussion, or analysis. That's why there are songs, and poetry, and music. It's all about reality, and the greatness of reality. And the depth of reality and the intensity of reality and the echo of reality here in the heart and here in the head. And when these two come together, it bursts the bonds of ordinary prosaic speech over and over again throughout the history of mankind. And God has ordained it to be that way. He created music. He created the human heart. He created emotion. Music and singing are necessary. They are biblically mandated to Christian faith and worship for the simple reason that the realities of God and Christ and salvation and creation and heaven and hell are so great that when they are known truly and felt duly, they demand songs. So... Let's go to this text that talks about singing, mandates singing, describes singing, puts singing so close to the center of worship. And I'm going to pack six sermons again into one, which I do every Sunday, because every time I take a verse, no matter how small a text I try to choose, way ahead of time, it always is too much. And I get so frustrated on Friday and Saturday saying, but this phrase needs a sermon, and this phrase needs a sermon, and this phrase needs a sermon. So, here I go, and we'll try to get done by quarter after. Number one, there's six points that I want to draw out about singing, and my prayer is that you will... Take these six and do the sermons yourselves. You'll fill them up with Bible. You'll experience them. You'll meditate on them. You'll say, yes, that's the way we're going to be at this church. We're going to work at that Sunday after Sunday until with one mind and one voice, we are this way. This way. Ephesians 5, 17 to 20. That's the way we're going to be at Bethlehem. Number one, and I'm not being exhaustive. Singing is to be an expression of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. There's the command, be filled with the Spirit. Now notice, just a comma and then a participle. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. In Psalms, this is in Psalm speaking, in Psalm speaking, this is song speaking, speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So the first point is this singing talk is an overflow of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That means it's supernatural. God is God. The Spirit is God. The Spirit comes, He fills, and what overflows is not merely natural. There is natural singing, and there is supernatural singing. God's not interested in natural singing. That unregenerate people who hate God can do well. He's not interested. In fact, it's blasphemy. It's prostitution of a gift. Created for God. All singing that is not flowing from God, through God, and for God is prostitution. It's harlotry. He's not interested in it. No matter how many billions of dollars it makes for people on the earth. He wants it to be an overflow of fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amos chapter 5, verse 23 Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is why musicians like we've just been helped by tremble. I hear them tremble downstairs when they pray. They know it is possible to do this And God say, take it away. They know that's possible and they don't want that to be said over them. And therefore they pray for fullness. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? Well, that's a sermon, right? (laughs) What is the Holy Spirit? Fullness and how do you get it? There's two or three sermons. Well, in two paragraphs... To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be drunk. That's what the text says, sort of. Don't get drunk with wine, but be blank with the Holy Spirit. And he said filled instead of drunk, because there are some differences. You don't lose your mind when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, verse 17 says, think what the will of the Lord is. Think, know, understand. So when you're drunk with the Spirit, your reason is lively. When you're drunk with wine, your reason is highly unlively. It's very numbed out. But there's an analogy. Wine takes over when you're drunk. Takes over. And so does the Holy Spirit. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, He takes over. He he controls, He masters in a way that is more full than when you're not full. So there's an analogy there. How do you get it? Well, if I had time, I would develop 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 16, Romans 8, 4 to 8, Galatians 3, 5. And I would argue as my main point in how to be filled with the Holy Spirit that the way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to prayerfully read, meditate on, and believe the breathings of the Spirit in the Word of God. The people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are filled with the Word of God. They are saturated with the Word of God. You get on your face over the Word of God and you cry out to God for His fullness. And then you don't empty your mind. Woe to those who empty their mind at that point. They don't empty their mind, they fill their mind with the breathings out of the Holy Spirit which are written in this book. It is Nustos God-breathed. This book is God-breathed according to 2 Timothy 3.16. And if you want the breath of God to fill you, the pneuma, the Spirit of God to fill you, you do it with your face over this book and your heart crying to that God. That's the way He does it. You memorize, you meditate, you fill up. That is why in the book of Acts, when it says repeatedly, two, three, four times, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God. It just flowed over. When you fill yourself with the Word of God to the fullness of the Spirit, you speak the Word of God. There's boldness, there's freedom, there's liberty, there's prophetic fitness when you're full of the Holy Spirit. And it comes out in the way we sing. And that's what this text says. That's point number one. The singing of the church is to be an expression of The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Number two, singing is to be from the heart. Verse 19 at the end, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now the opposite of that would be with your mouth by your willpower minus heartfelt affection for what you are saying. In other words, um, just like we've been seeing in this series on worship for several weeks, the essence of worship is not form. It's not mere words out of the mouth. It's not beauty of a voice. It's not beauty of a piano. It's not uh, articulate sermonic sentences. It's not the essence of worship. The essence of worship is what goes on in here. From your heart. And if it's not from the heart, it isn't worship. Something else. It's shell. It's skin. Now, I said to you several weeks ago that I would come to a point in this series where I would try to encourage you that in spite of all my strong insistence upon authenticity and heartfelt reality in worship, We must not have an all-or-nothing attitude to coming into this room on Sunday morning feeling like, Good grief, if I'm not red-hot for Jesus this morning, there's no point in my coming. Now, right here is where I want to say that. When it says that this should come from your heart, I see at least three stages of worship. These are all in desiring God. They're not new, and they're not mine. I believe they're reality. There's three stages of worship. The first worship would be, we are red hot, filled up, overflowing. Saturday night was awesome. I woke up so eager and hungry to praise God on Sunday morning. And you come and you do it. That's almost nobody. The second level is down a level where... You might have tasted that, and periodically you taste that, but now what's left of that red hot fullness is a longing. You remember it, you taste it, and it's a longing. And I say to you, if you come into this room and offer that longing up to God, that's worship. That's real. Even if you're not at the 100% mark or the 90% mark of fullness, that's real. I think real worship goes even lower. Suppose things have been so bad, or for whatever physical, emotional, spiritual beat-upness there is in your life, you don't even feel the longing. But you feel a flicker of remorse that the longing isn't there. You can offer that to God. Because even remorse that the longing for the fullness isn't there is an honor to the Lord that He is the only hope. You wouldn't feel any remorse. You'd just say, I'm out of here. This is ridiculous. What are these jerks doing here on Sunday morning when they could be sleeping in or watching television or something really meaningful? That's where you'd be if there were no spiritual life but if there's remorse at the bottom of your cup just a little sediment of remorse that the longing isn't there that the fullness isn't there you can say God I don't have fullness I don't feel longing and I'm so sorry and that's worship that's worship. So number two was it should be heartfelt. Number three, singing is to be to the Lord. Verse 19, speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, to the Lord. Now I know it says to one another at the beginning of the verse, speaking to one another and it ends the verse, depending on where your version is, to the Lord. And the marvel of this thing called corporate worship here is that they're both true in the same verse of the same singing. It's not some singing to one another and some singing to the Lord. It's you sing to one another to the Lord. To the Lord means that our worship is going to be God-centered. It's going to be Christ-centered. He's the Lord in verse 20. Through Him, we give thanks to God the Father, so God-centered, Christ-centered, I meld those things. It means that everything we do in this service, especially our singing and preaching, will relate to God and be God-centered. It will be God-word, I like that word, God-word, put on the front of a book one time. The God-word life, the God-word worship, so that everything in this room is god word on Sunday morning. Even though I'm talking to you right now, I am talking with a very keen awareness of the living God present, listening, watching, working in this room right now. This is not a lecture. This is a spiritual transaction mediating through my heart, touched by the Spirit, to your head and your heart, Truth, God inspired, hopefully, anointed, and opened to you and illumined to your mind for a spiritual transformation. This is no ordinary thing that's going on here. And so it is when we sing. We are singing even when we sing, Almighty Fortress is our God. We're talking to one another, but we're doing it in the presence of God, for the glory of God, aware that God is listening, desiring that God be pleased by our singing to one another. So yes, it is to the Lord even when it is to one another. There are these two kinds of songs, are there not? Now I think the the to one another and the to God kinds of songs, I, I think this phrase, to the Lord, should push us In the direction of singing to the Lord in the second person. You, thou. Great is thy faithfulness. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to thee, not him. And so on. You are Lord, you are Lord, you are risen from the dead and you are Lord. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I think we should sing a lot of songs like that. You, 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 you. So that we get the sense of lingering in the presence of the Lord and speaking to Him. Hear me now. And in that sense, there can be almost a being caught up in a very intimate, precious communion with the Lord, even though we're in a big group. We'll come to one another in just a minute. So these three so far, spirit-driven, heartfelt, God-addressed, or God-centered. Do you, do you feel the impact that that should have on a worship service? To me it says, no trifling, no joking, no silliness, no superficiality, no slapstick. Things are too deep, too weighty, too glorious. God is the origin of them. They are to take root deep in our heart. And they are to be relentlessly focused on God so that they are seriously joyful and joyfully serious. And there's an atmosphere that we want so much to be here in worship that you won't have anywhere else in your life. There's nobody trying to create this for you on television or in the newspaper or home or anywhere probably. And to taste it is an awesome thing. Number four, singing is to be undergirded by a deep biblical theology of God's sovereign goodness. Singing is to be undergirded by a deep biblical theology of God's sovereign goodness. Now where in the world in this text do I see that? I see it in verse 20 because in verse 20 it says, as you're singing always give thanks for all things and that is an outrageous thing to say in this world Unless you have a deep, biblical theology of the sovereign goodness of God. If God is not sovereign and good, I'm not giving thanks for everything. Thank you. For everything... I mean, when you say a sentence like that, always giving thanks for everything, (laughs) you better have a theology, folks, because you're going to be ripped to shreds in this world of Holocaust and cancer. I don't know how people read the Bible and worship with the Bible open before them without a profound, deep biblical theology of the sovereign goodness of God. I call it deep. I say deep theology because I am, as a pastor, absolutely devoted not to being superficial with a chipper, praise God anyhow, approach to evil. A superficial statement to Dave and Laurie. Oh, praise God anyhow, your daughter's been cut open twice and still struggling for her life after three months in the hospital. Praise God anyhow. And and the thing I'm underlining with my tone of voice there is the non-deepness of it. The non-feltness of it. The non-empathy of it all. The Bible says weep with those who weep. The Bible says in the same chapter, Romans 12, abhor what is evil. And you can extrapolate from that, evangelize against it. Fight for justice. Go into science and get at the microbes that cause it. Oppose this thing. And if you don't have a theology of the deep sovereign goodness of God, how are you going to read verse 20 while you're doing that? God is glorified mightily and powerfully by those who hate sin, hate lostness, hate pain, try to relieve it, try to evangelize against lostness, try to fight for the overcoming of evil in the world, and all the while carrying this deep ballast in their boat called confidence that in it all God is at work somehow. For our good. All I mean by theology is being able to hold that together. That's all I mean. You don't have to call it theology. Call it something else. But that's the way we're going to be if I have anything to do with it. We're going to weep with those who weep. We're going to hug. We're going to be there. We're going to fight this thing. And they're going to hear the song on Sunday morning. You who long pain and sorrow bear. Praise God. And on him cast your care. They're going to hear that. And they're going to know. They mean that here. But they're not superficial. They're not blasé about my pain. But they do mean that. Praise God. David, praise God, Glenn. And on him cast your care. So, our singing here has to be rooted in and based on a deep, not superficial, empathetic, biblical theology of the sovereign goodness of God. Number five. Singing is to be to each other. First I said it was to the Lord. Now I'm saying it's to each other. Again, verse nineteen. Speaking to one another in Psalms, speaking to one another. Underline one another. In Psalms. Now we did that. We did that this morning several times. Just like we addressed the Lord several times. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with all your heart. To the Lord. Now, if you needed, which you probably don't, but if you needed a clear biblical mandate for corporate worship, this is it. See, I've developed and stressed with all my might all of life is worship, eating is worship, taking naps is worship, remember? All that's worship. But we do this every Sunday morning. We do this thing. We gather in this room. And here we are in this room, maybe four or five hundred of us right now. We gather. And the reason is because this text says, speak to one another in songs. Do that. You can't do that by yourself. You cannot obey this text alone. And so we get together and we sing together. Now I see several implications here. One is this. We should do a lot of congregational singing. When the committee to design the philosophy of worship and the job description for Chuck and the call, we said what should be the defining sound of this church? Should it be organ? We don't even have one. Should it be keyboard? Piano, recorder, and our answer was, the congregation singing should be the defining sound musically of this church. All the other things are wonderful. I love what I heard this morning. But the defining sound is the congregation lifting its corporate voice in powerful song. And oh, that we would become more and more mighty in our singing to one another. Here's a second implication. Many of our hymns and our contemporary worship songs are addressed To each other. Oh, worship the king. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Crown him with many crowns. Majesty, majesty, worship his majesty. All of those songs do not address God. They address each other. They're speaking to you about God. In the presence of God, knowing that God's listening and getting glory, but we're addressing each other. Majesty! Majesty! Worship His Majesty! Would you with me? That's what you're saying. When you sing that song, you're addressing it to one another. And the Psalms are filled with such kinds of third person speech. Godward. He is lord and the third implication in other words my point there was that's good that's good let's do that that's okay let's mingle the you songs and the he songs and then the third implication of that is a solo like roxanne's keyboard like marks worship teams choirs are in this text, I believe warranted. That is, they find a biblical justification because if the Bible says speak to one another in spiritual songs, there is nothing in that text that implies we should always be speaking all at the same time. If it's Speak in song to somebody. One Roxanne did that to us. She spoke to us in song. Worship teams sometimes take over for a a refrain or a choir does an anthem. They speak to us in song. We pray against performance mentality with passion at Bethlehem. But in saying that, we are not saying that every speech in song that comes from a group to a group is a performance that puts you in a passive mode, non-worshiping. That's not true. Your mode at that moment of Roxanne singing or worship team singing or choir singing ought not be a passive mode. It ought to be a deeply... Resonating yes, 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 yes mode. Now, let me address a sensitive issue here, and I don't really know what to say about it, but I feel like just for awkwardness sake, I need to address it. At the end of it, how do we say that? Now, some of you clapped this morning and others didn't clap when Roxanne was done. You know why some of you clapped and some of you didn't clap? It's not because you disagree with each other about what you were saying. It's a, it's a cultural thing about what's the best way to say it. That, that's, that's all that happened right there. Some of you are bursting with, that's beautiful, that's right, that's good. Yes, we have to say that with our hands. And others, like me, sitting here, was, were saying, that was beautiful, that was good, and amen, and amen. I'm not sure what to do about that. (laughs) We'll just, we'll just work with that, okay? Don't feel bad if you were the clapper or the non-clapper. Don't feel bad. I know what's going to happen in the second service, Roxanne. The second service is a clap happy service. (laughs) This, this is generally not, but they just couldn't help it. So we'll think about that together, and we'll just try to decide, who are we going to be? Are we going to clap after every anthem? Are we we just going to leave it? Just leave it. That's where it is right now. We're just going to leave it and see how God leads. Last point, quickly. I'm I'm five minutes over time. Uh, Finally, singing is to be varied in its forms. Verse 19 again, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see those three? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Here's a quote from Ralph Martin. It is hard to draw any hard and fast distinction between these terms. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Modern scholars are agreed that the various terms here are used loosely to cover the various musical forms of composition psalms may refer to christian odes patterned on the old testament psalter hymns uh, would be perhaps longer compositions and there is evidence that some actually specimens of these hymns are found in the new testament third spiritual songs refer to snatches of spontaneous praise which the inspiring spirit placed on the lips of enraptured worshipers as in 1 corinthians 14:15 Trying to design a worship service for a group just this varied, and we're not very varied. When you take the world into account, you know, 7,000 languages, hundreds and hundreds of ethnic backgrounds and musics, we're not very varied, but we're very varied within our non-variedness. And trying to design a service for this group is not easy. And therefore, love and patience and... Wisdom and prayer for Chuck and me as we try to think our way through Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and the breadth of fine and folk. And you're gonna get a range because we, we have a middle and we move around on the continuum. And sometimes we push some of your limits, and sometimes we push other of your limits on the fine folk spectrum. And so I just plead with you to understand that this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs raise, uh, uh, stretch us. Now, the reason for this, and, and I say this in closing, It's simply that God is so infinitely varied in his beauty. And he touches us at ways that are very, very deep. Now, we all know the difference between Handel's Messiah and chestnuts roasting or Silent Night. There is something about God that demands the Hallelujah Chorus. And done majestically, something that demands that. And there is something that demands just a closer walk with Thee. Grant it, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Now that's not Handel's Messiah. That's just plain old down-home folk. I need You, song, and that's the way God is. And we're going to do it all, as close as we can get. And I just ask that you'd pray for us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon our life as a church in worship. God, we need you. We want to connect with you. We want so much to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to... Have everything come from our heart and to be God focused and God centered and have a deep biblical theology of your sovereign goodness and to in helpful ways with one another speak to each other and do it in varied forms of psalm and hymn and spiritual song. So Lord draw near, I pray, and enable us to be the worshiping community that you have called us to be.